Looking to improve your employee retention? Start by perfecting your onboarding and training experience for new hires. Check out Trainual to see how they can help you scale your growth and make onboarding easier and more efficient than ever. Check out the link in the show description or on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast partner page at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore company culture and the fascinating world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we have Chris Fleming, Vice President of Operations at Maximum Industries, with over 30 years experience in the manufacturing industry. Chris started his career as a machine operator at Alexandria Industries in 1992 while attending Alexandria Technical College during the day for a machine tool degree. Since then, he has worked his way up the ranks, developing a passion for CNC machine parts and becoming a leader in the tooling department. In 2000, Chris decided to go on an adventure to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Here, he took a position as an applications engineer for Productivity Inc., a machine tool distributor, supporting their sales from a technical perspective. Chris returned to Alexandria in 2003 and worked on many materials and machines throughout his career. Including, including leading operations in Suzhou, China, and Carrollton, Texas. He has also been an active National Tooling and Machine Association member, serving as Chapter Vice President in 2019 and President from 2020 to the present. With his energy, drive, and multicultural background, Chris is always looking for ways to make an impact in an industry that has treated him so well. Join us as we dive into his experiences, insights, and perspective on cold, on the culture of manufacturing. So sit back, relax, and join us for this exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hey, hey, Chris. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Thanks for being hey, on Jim, today. How, are you, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm doing, doing well. Doing fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, how's, how's the weather in Texas? Uh, it, it's been a, a wild winter for a lot of us. Uh, so how, how's the weather down there right now? You know, we're finally getting back to the normal springs where we're at right now. Now it's just raining and about 80 degrees. So um, can't complain about that. Raining in 80. So that just spells <laughs> humidity for me. Uh, and, and as somebody in Phoenix, that's not something I enjoy too much. Um, but I'll let you guys have it. I'll let you guys have it. Um, so before we dive in with Chris uh, and our conversation, I want to remind everybody listening to go check out uh, the website at manufacturingculturepodcast.com, where we have the show's last few episodes and link to the Patreon and merch sites. Yes, we now have hats, mugs, bags, all sorts of things. And we even have a shirt inspired from the last episode that says, I have a no asshole policy. So thank you to uh, our, our uh, previous guest for the inspiration for that shirt. Uh, Chris, uh, as uh, our guest today, we're really going to uh, talk about uh, Maximum, your experience at Alexandria, the cultural journey that you've been on, uh, and some things that you've done to and implemented uh, to to change the culture at, at both uh, organizations. Um, so, first off, let's let's talk a little bit about Maximum. What is Maximum uh, making, and, and how big's a team? Tell us a little bit about the organization. 
Uh, you know, the Maximum Industries team is a pretty awesome group. It's uh, We've got about 40,000 square foot building, and it's got just a huge amount of diversification in there as far as what, this, or what they do, um, products they make, the industries they make it for, um, the people. We've got about 43 people that are working here at the time. Um, and that includes everybody from our engineers to the quality, to the marketing and, uh, all the production people on the floor. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, it's just been the amount of diversification, everything from water jet cutting, the laser cutting to some fabrication, uh, to CNC milling, CNC turning robotics. It's just a real awesome, uh, smaller environment. That's awesome. And you're relatively new to the organization. I mean, uh in in the grand scheme of things right yeah i've been with maximum industries now about six years or about six months um and it was uh just kind of one of those things that um i made the change from alexandria having about 27 years of experience with alexandria um i got to a point where in my life where i was like you know what i got 15 years left of this <laughs> and if i don't try to do something different now i'm probably never going to do something different and you know, with my passion in CNC machining and just general manufacturing, I just wanted to expand out a little bit beyond aluminum extrusions and yeah. put my hands on multi-metals and multi-types of processes again. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Uh, so tell us, uh, let, let's give a, a quick rundown of the culture at Alexandria, uh, just so people have an idea of, of something that you, you know, your cultural journey on a broader scope. Then we can talk a little bit uh, <clears throat> about your, <clears throat> pardon me, about your time at uh, 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 Maximum now and, and where you're, you want to take the culture at, at Maximum. So when you joined Alexandria Industries, what was the culture like there? You know, when I joined Alexandria way back in high school, of course, I was in high school, right? I came from the fast food industry and all kinds of other stuff. And just being a, you know, dumb kid coming out of school, you really don't know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, what, what you did expect is the way things were in the fast food industry. And, you know, I wasn't saying we were working for, I wasn't working for Chick-fil-A by any means. So you didn't have that type of a culture. Um and for me, moving into a manufacturing environment uh, in the early 90s, it, it was it was kind of what it was, but Alexandria was so, it, it was just, it was more of a family type of a company, even way back then. Um, the, the culture was always, it, it was just a, I mean, there was no yelling, there was no screaming. It was just a, a, a that, that was what normal was for me walking into manufacturing. Wow. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, they really set the bar pretty high um, <laughs> right away in the beginning which yeah. is probably why I ended up staying there 27 years because of uh, the way it was. So uh, tell us about some of the, as your career grew there, Chris, what were some of the things that, that became evident to you that this was really a cultural thing that kept you there and, and kept your counterparts there uh, as you grew through your career? What, what were some of those things that became evident? You know, in the very beginning, to me, everything was all about the skills and the opportunities that I was looking to try to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was so I was so focused on wanting to become that CNC expert, um, and, and that's all I wanted. I was strictly focused at the opportunities I was given and what I was able to work on, what I was able to do, the freedom I was able to give to be creative with it, uh, and just that continuous learning portion of it. 
And again, that culture with Alexander, they, they really thrived on that. I mean, they really opened it up to allow us to do that kind of stuff, um, which again allowed, and I put the initiative into it, right? I was hungry for it. So being hungry for it, I, 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 I would put 110% at everything that they would give me, and which in turn allowed me to accomplish a lot of things um, that gave me that next opportunity, that next advancement. So, you know, in the very beginning portion of it, it, that's what it was to me. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I left Alexandria to go work for productivity. um, Again, very similar environment to Alexandria. I knew what I was walking into. I knew them from working with Alexandria. And, uh, um, it was that same type of a culture, but again, at a young age, more focused on the technical advancement and the skill advancement than I was anything else. Right. Um, as I was with productivity, um, that gave me a lot of opportunity to go into so many different shops because every time they would sell a, a machine tool, I'd be able to go in there and I would either be doing the training on the machines with their employees or uh, talking to the owners as they're looking to buy the machines, trying to convince them. Uh, it was interesting at the time. I, I had hair that was probably down past the middle of my back, so I <laughs> always wore it. And I was wearing it in a ponytail. When I started there, uh, they said, you know, we'd really like it, you know, because you're now a little bit more of a professional figure if we if you cut your hair. And I kind of laughed at that because I said, okay, you know, I get I said, tell you what, the first time we have a problem, uh, with it, I'll cut my hair. And they, they agreed that that was okay. And it was actually, I, I think it was that that kind of opened it up as I went and met with everybody because you'd get out on the shop and be like, oh, well, he's just not a clean cut guy that's walking in here and talking. He, he actually knows what he's talking about and he looks the part. So sure. Give you out. a little street cred, uh, walking yeah. into those shops. I got it. I got yep. it. So, so, uh, and, and a bunch of those shops that I went into, again, we know that the, we know company culture or positive culture is not necessarily all over, right? Yeah. Uh, you can go into some shops that are just dirty, nasty, and disgusting. And, you know, you know, they're rude, they're mean, they're, they're focused on anything else. It's just, you know, do this and don't ask questions and that type of stuff. And, and I got, I had the experience of being in some of those places. Yeah. I had the opportunity to go in some other places that were union shops and there that definitely made me understand that working at a union shop was not for me because of the beer uh, politics and stuff that went along with that yeah i i always say chris uh you know i can generally tell and and i think most people can what uh a shop's culture is within five minutes of a shop tour right uh, yep, because yep. once you get behind the, the that set of double doors or that single door, whatever shop you're going into, if people are engaging with the guests as they are walking through the shop, that typically means that there's a, a positive culture, right? But if they're staring at their shoes or uh, you know looking away, not engaging with the guests, typically is a, a sign that uh, there's a break in the culture somewhere, right? Yeah. Whether that's uh, a feeling that leadership is going to come down on them for talking to guests uh, or uh, something else. But but generally, you can tell right when you walk into a shop what their culture is going to be like. And, and so that's really neat that you got to see that uh, firsthand because not too many people in your shoes go from industry to distribution and then back to industry. Right. Right. So yep. when you went back to Alexandria in 03, 
what was your title at that point? And then, uh, and, and how did your career progress uh, beyond that point? So when I went back to Alexandria in 2003, <clears throat> I actually went back there as the um, applications engineer supervisor. Um, part of the reason that they brought me back is not just because I'd gone out to productivity, but prior to that, I was, I was the CNC programmer at Alexandria. And mm -hmm. they realized after I had left that they'd really lost something in their development and their forward motion and such. Um, so they, they opened this position up and I just happened to hear about it and kind of went back and circled on back and kind of made me a good candidate for it. Mm -hmm. So um, went back there and kind of picked up where I left off is what I did with the exception of walking in as a leader at that point. And that was actually my first other than some tooling leads and you know, some general shop foreman type uh, leadership opportunities. This was my very first uh, leadership opportunity. Okay. Okay. So uh, where was the culture at that point? Was it still relatively positive? Was it still great? What was the culture like at Alexandria at that point? Well, like I said, you know, it was kind of like I never even left. I, you know, I left for about three years. They moved into a new building and they did a bunch of renovating and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, walking in, I mean, still most of the people that I'd worked with prior to being there before were there. Uh, of course, there was a handful of new people that were in there. Um, the, the culture, very much the same. Uh, again, a very um, kind of we're all one big happy family type of a deal. I mean, it was a little bit different because when I was originally started there, it was like 125 employees versus when I went back. And then we, at that time, we were probably around 300, wow. 300 and some employees. Okay. So okay. yeah, walking back into that door and, you know, a little bit different building, but most part, the faces are all the same. And um, it was, it was kind of picking up where I left off with the, like I said, the exception of now I have an experience underneath my belt and, and thinking that I know a little bit more. <laughs> well, and, and so Chris, how did uh, starting off in a company that had a positive culture, one that you fit into, how did that shape your leadership journey, right? That that journey, uh, because so often in manufacturing, we see uh, the individual contributors that are the best at their position get promoted into leadership roles. Um, and a lot of times they don't have leadership experience or skill set, and so, the company culture seems to uh, tends to uh, drop, right? It, it seems to decline a little bit uh, as new leadership uh, takes over. But it sounds like you had such a good found cultural foundation there that you were able to go in and be a really effective leader. How how did that take place? I, I tell you honestly, it took place with uh, a lot of coaching. Okay. Uh, you know, one thing one thing that Alexandria was very good at is. Um, personal development. Um, and, and they had some leadership coaches that they were there. They were awesome with uh, promoting from within, um, you know, giving people the opportunities. And, and they realized that a long time ago that just because somebody has the ability and the mindset doesn't necessarily mean they have the tact or the, um, <clears throat> the, the right approach to, yeah. to handle that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I was very fortunate right away in the beginning to be hooked up with a leadership coach um to, to kind of give you a little bit of a difference of where i'm at now versus when i first started like i said you know that was my first leadership opportunity 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when I, I, I it's funny because I laugh about it to this day. Um, and actually, my coaches that I've worked with in the past have, have always laughed at it, too. Um, so when, when I first was offered the, the group of people who I was going to lead right out of the gate. So my opening statement to them was, I hope your I hope your soul belongs to Jesus because your ass belongs to me. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I, it, I mean, it, it was just that mentality, right? It, 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 you know, coming from what, what you thought that a leader should be, and, you know, you, you had to be strong, you had to be, you, you know, tough, and you, you had to be the driver. Yeah. And I found through, again, through experience and coaching and stuff like that, that that's absolutely not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, I get that. I, and I think uh, – I, I mean, I tell this story in workshops that I do uh, about the first time I became a leader and, and something similar, right? Um, I was in distribution and the company that I was working for said, hey, we want you to be a leader. We want you to to build a team of yous. And uh, that cookie cutter approach didn't work. And so I tried uh, almost to, to your point um, to build a team of me's uh, with force, brute force and ignorance. Yep. Right. Um, yep. and it, I failed, I failed miserably, um, and ended up leaving the company, leaving leadership, going back to an inju- individual contributor role because I didn't want to be a leader. If that's what leadership was, I didn't want any part of it. Um, and, and quickly through some coaching and, and mentoring from other organizations, refine the craft of leadership. Uh, so it's a very similar story to, to what you experienced there. Yeah. You know, I, I told them a couple of times too, it's like, yeah, what I, or they asked me a couple of times. So what do you like being about uh, being a leader? And I said, I love all the things I'm in control of. I love all the things I'm responsible for. And they said, well, what don't you like? I said, I don't like working with the people about it. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, it, it kind of completely contradicted everything that was there. And they called me out on it. They're like, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> hey, 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 and you never realize that until they, you know, they call you out on that right away. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Well, and that's phenomenal for them to have leadership coaches then. I mean, it, it, at that part in their journey, uh, what a what a forward-looking uh, uh, organization. Uh, so, uh, and and this wasn't this isn't really anything that I've asked any previous guests, but you spent time in China and uh, Suzhou, China. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Uh, hey, fifteenth times a charm, man. Um, <laughs> so, tell us about the cultural differences working in China versus the U.S., Carrollton, Texas, etc. I mean, that has to be, uh, especially as a leader, that has to have uh, some huge cultural differences. Yeah, I mean, uh, being a person coming from the Upper Midwest, small town, Alexandria, Minnesota. And then going from a town of 15,000 people to a city of 9 million, wow. um, it, it was it was huge. I mean, I've, I've traveled, I've been to big cities and stuff like that uh, through fun things, but, you know, not necessarily being there, living in there, uh, any of that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, when I got there, it, it was the weirdest thing how that whole thing happened. Anyhow, uh, honestly, I was supposed to go there for two and a half weeks to be the uh, technical setup as we were opening the facility. Okay. And, and train the uh, train the people, get the equipment and stuff like that up and moving. 
Um, and those two and a half weeks turned into seven weeks because of some <laughs> equipment delays. Um, I came back for about a month and uh, my boss came, was there and back in that uh, time. And he's, you know, he started telling me about stuff that was happening over there. And I said, you, you got to put me on a plane, get me back over there. Let me fix it. And so he did put it back on there. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was at this point that I'd already had the, op- the opportunity to understand, you know, people are people, they do what they do. Uh, everybody has a seat on the, or everybody should have a seat on the bus. Yeah. Uh, how do you put the right people in the right places? What approach do you take with them? Uh, and so on. So, um, as I jumped back on that plane and came back over to China, um, got landed in Shanghai and ended up back at the facility and ended up spending 22 months or 22 weeks that year, uh, in China. Wow. Um, again, technically being there supporting everything. Um, but, but it, it was, it was weird, right? When I landed there the first time I got, and it was, it was one of those things for me that it was just so different. It was so awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know that it really was that often, but again, you, you drive around in the U.S. and most other places and you see regular letters on the signs and road signs and stuff like that. And whether it's uh, in, in Spanish or in French or in German or something like that, you can still kind of see that it's a word. Right. And there and in China, everything's Chinese characters. And, you know, it's just crazy. It's just like, wow, you, you know, it just almost blew my mind. I was just so excited about it. Yeah. Um, and the people, the probably the, one of the biggest things with the people was, is, again, doesn't matter. Didn't matter if they were Chinese or who they were They're that they're people and they'd be, they're treated just like people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, when I got it, when I got into the facility um, and the original hiring and stuff that was going on, the original general manager that we had there, uh, he, he was originally from Spain and he had a little bit different of a mentality as far as how to run people. He ran more, he ran everybody more on the lines of your soul better belong to Jesus because your ass belongs to me. <laughs> Got it. So, and, so the, the mistake that you had made earlier was his current reality. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see this wide open. I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, you can't do this. This is not the Alexandria way. And, you know, I just I, I'd been very passionate about being a member of the Alexandria team and what we believe in, what we stood for. So. Um, you know, I, I took that with me everywhere I went and that's the culture that I wanted to share. And that's the culture that I wanted to spread. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, and I had met other foreigners that were there from other countries, the United States, other companies and stuff like that. And they said that, yeah, but this is different. This is China. You can't do that here. And, and I said, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. So mm-hmm. I, I continued on in my journey that I was at and, um, uh, we, it was a great crew. I, I mean, yeah. I took a crew that, you know, they were. They were who they were. One of the big things in the beginning was nobody ever wanted to do anything more than what they were supposed to do because that was the Chinese way. Mm. Uh, you hired me to put this piece here, and I'm going to put this piece here. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. I, and what I was able to do is by working with them, showing them, teaching them, I, I just continued to build them and grow them. Uh, I had a two-shift operation with about 25 people that, you know, they did some rotations and stuff like that. And in the beginning, they were saying, we got to hire more people to do this. We got to hire more people to do that. And, and I, I convinced them that I said, you, you do realize that your, your incentives are based off of the number of people that we had. Uh, so if we want to add people, your incentive goes smaller because you're adding people. And they're right. like, oh, you know, as soon as they got that realization, that, then, they, then that was kind of the icebreaker of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, from that point on, it, they completely changed and they were focused. Um, 
a couple of the other managers that I had, again, young guys never had been managers before, you know, they were a little bit more pushy and stuff like that, trying to drive them to do stuff. And I helped them understand. I said, you have to realize that happy people are productive people. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, so, hey. so you had an opportunity to, to mentor and, and manage managers at that point. Right. So yeah, because so all the, yeah, all the managers that I had there were all first time managers as well. Wow. Wow. And, and so, uh that experience uh, how did that then affect your uh, ability to lead back in the US when when you were back and and leading your your regular team uh at at Alexandria uh, here in the US how how did that affect that yeah I, no, what i was able to do there um taking the pieces that i learned how uh, the incentives that i used that you know the little tricks that i used things that when, when I seen that Chinese culture change from uh, a Chinese or a, a regular Chinese company to a Alexandria company in China, uh, it was like, I, I knew that I had some, some good things in my toolbox. Yeah. I, and looking at that, when I came to Carrollton um, and walked into the facility here, I you know kind of the same thing. Yeah. I, I got to know everybody. I, Made, made sure that I understand who they are. I, I checked out what their abilities were. I, you know, tried to identify what's the best fit for them. And honestly, sometimes not everybody is the right fit for it. Sure, sure. And, and, and that takes a lot. That takes a lot of it too, right? It's going through, and you, you got to clean out some of the bad seed that, that's actually in the way. Yeah. So let, let's now uh, great segue. Let's let's transition over to Maximum Industries and and so when you walked in the door at Maximum, Chris, where was the culture? Uh, what was the culture like uh, from the leader before you walked in the door? You, you know what the part of the reason why I came to Maximum was because of what the potential that I see. Okay. You know, I I'd been here. I, I've known the owner through the NTMA. He's also a member of the NTMA. Uh, I've worked with him on. Uh, internships and stuff like that and he, he, he's just a he, he's a great guy mm -hmm. um, and, and with him being the way he was you could see that that trickled out into the production area okay. and he, even throughout the whole shop and you, you know I, I just looked at it and I, I mean it's not it's not where definitely where I want it to be and there's a lot of things that we can we, we can do to take it to that world-class level Mm -hmm. um, but, but I also realized that, you know, I'm coming from a, uh, organization like Alexandria industries that has, you, you know, all the support you've got, you've got all your HR, you've got all your trainers, you've got, you, you know, all this other types of functions that a smaller company doesn't necessarily have. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, even things like, uh, safety understanding, safety guidelines and stuff like that. It's, uh, th there's just a, a ton of opportunity, but I, I would say that at least 90% of the people that are there um, or that are here are, are are the right ones for the bus. Okay. Okay. So how, how do you think that you're going to coach up or coach out uh, the other 10%? How, how are you approaching that 10% that aren't the right people for this culture, for this company? You know, I, I look at it as being fairly fortunate, yes, and unfortunate uh, at the same time. Um, being here in the last six months, I've actually done more technical um, things than I've actually done leadership type stuff. 
Sure. Um, for the reason that the reasons. Yeah. Um, and but through that, what I really wanted to do, my original plan when I first came here is I said, you know, I for three months, I just wanted to do nothing but work out in the shop with the people, helping the people, because I want to make sure that and I again through my experiences with China and Alexandria and stuff like that, I found that if I can show them, you know, that I have the abilities and, and that I have things that I can offer to them that I can help them you know, move forward in their career and I can help teach them things, mm -hmm. but also let them get to know Chris, who Chris is not Chris, the leader, just Chris, who Chris is. Yeah. That sure. you, you a know, little vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm wide open about almost everything, you know, what I've done good at, what I've done bad at, <coughs> what I think I can do and what I realize that I can't do. Sure. Um, but just going through and just getting to know them on a more of a personal level to see, you know, what are their intentions and what are their uh, drives and incentives and such. Yeah. So, so you said that you want it to be a world-class organization. What does that mean to you as for, far as the, the culture of maximum, what, what does world-class culture mean to you? You know, world-class culture to me means um, creating that, um mentality to just do it better on your own for for example cleaning i mean the the shop is actually fairly clean mm -hmm. um but but to have to go out there and you know to look at somebody and say hey could you sweep up around your machine yeah uh and to not have to do that because you know what they they just do it because they take um, ownership yeah yeah you, you know simple things like you know uh, safety safety glasses or earplugs or you, you know just general stuff like that is uh that they put them on because they want to have them on not because they feel like they have to put them on sure uh, again a world-class situation is is you, you don't want any safety injuries yeah absolutely uh so chris uh the second part of every episode and the second question is is what are three things that you've implemented um and I think that, you know, you can give us some uh, uh, tools, techniques, tips, uh, things that you've implemented from Alexandria, but I'm, I'm more curious and, and I, I assume my, the listeners here are as well. What do you plan on implementing at maximum to get you to that world-class culture, right? It, it's, it's one thing to, to see what you've done and, and implemented at, at Alexandria, but where you you recognize that that it's not a world class culture it's a great culture just not world class so what are you going to implement at maximum to to get you to that point attention manufacturers are you looking to take your company culture and employee engagement to the next level look no further than tco strategies we offer comprehensive company culture assessments employee engagement surveys, and leadership development programs designed specifically for manufacturers like you. With our expert team, you'll get the tools you need to understand your employees, improve communication, and drive success. Don't wait. Invest in the future of your business with TCO Strategies today. You know, the first thing that I believe that is uh, the most important, again, people people always think about who they are first you know they want to take care of themselves so what i what i always like to do is i and so far i've put it together i have not implemented it yet uh but but you have to put together a solid employee evaluation program mm -hmm. um i you know it's always been my theory that you know, there's no employee that's working that should ever come into an interview that's and say how am i doing they should already know yeah. how they're doing and if they don't know if they're doing a good job or a bad job that means that the leaders have failed 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so really for me, it's really developing a, an evaluation program or a type of a, um, review. Yeah. Performance management um, system. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, you, you know, I'm a firm believer with, with what I implemented or what I attempted, and it was, I would say it's 70% uh, successful at Alexandria, uh, the Carrollton location. Uh, we, we tried to meet with all of our employees on a quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. And by meeting with them doesn't mean that we're giving out raises, doesn't mean that we're handing out all kinds of stuff. It, it just means that how do you make sure that you take at least 5, 10, 20 minutes of personal time, sit in a room with them, and, and just talk to them to make sure that they understand what's going on. Yeah. Uh, also to make sure that they're clear on any expectations. Uh, also to make sure that, um, that they have a measurement for success because uh, everybody wants that. Everyone wants to know how am I doing and how do we measure that? Yeah, absolutely. And and through that process, are, are you uh, redefining the mission, vision, values of the organization to help connect that performance management eval or or metric or whatever you're you're using to the mission and vision of the the organization absolutely one of the first things that i actually cover is uh maximum industries we have a quality policy and okay. that quality policy it, it, it says it's a quality policy but if you read through it it is more of a mission vision and to value type i mean it talks about you know, the one thing that we believe, the one thing that we strive for is doing whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And the meaning that, you know, that's on time delivery, that's, you know, quality of product. I mean, it, it's everything kind of entangled into that, but they called it their quality policy. Okay. And that's how I've, that's how I've been trying to sell it, sitting down with the employees. It's, well, let's make sure we really understand this. It's not just these words that are written out here. And as I read yeah. through that quality policy statement, statement to each of them, I asked them the questions like, like this one right here, are we ever late on product? Well, yeah, but it, here it says that we're committed to on-time delivery. And here it says the best product possible. Um, are we committed to the best? Do you, can you tell me by looking me in the eyes that you actually have put 110% into every part that you've ever delivered? Yeah, you know, that it makes them just kind of sit back and think a little bit. So it's kind of helping to paint the picture of what we're trying to create and hopefully giving them that vision yeah. Uh, what what it's going to take to fit into that. Well, and uh, Chris, that'll help you real quickly weed out that 10% that may not fit the culture, right? Because uh, once you're able to connect each one of those jobs, each one of those roles to that that quality statement or the, the mission, vision, and values of the organization, you can see which ones are, are rowing with you which ones are rowing against you and which ones are jumping out the back of the canoe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, there, there's certain people, it doesn't mean the people that are on the bus are, are bad people mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with it. I mean, it's, you, you can always tell that there's, there's some that are the high performer, right? And they're the ones that are the hardest to notice. You look at that, who that high performer is, but you know what? They're only a high performer when they want to be a high performer. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe they don't show up to work on time. Maybe, coming to work on coming to work is more their choice than our choice. And yeah. you know, that, that puts me in that low value uh, quadrant. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's a, that's a good uh, first uh, initiative. What's number two, what, what's, what's after you, you in, in 
implement this performance management or employee eval uh, program? What's next? Uh, it's developing the goals and setting the expectations. I mean, what are well, what are we trying to, even though we've gone through the quality policy and stuff like that, it's making sure that they're, uh, we, we've got some posted goals that, that they can actually see, you, you know, the goal is now to be, um, how do we make sure that the whole shop is five best? How yeah. do we make sure that um, we are, you know, zero incident um, on an annual basis? Uh, but but it's, I think it's laying out those goals and those expectations, making those very clear so that way everybody understands them and repetitively talking about them to help again connect us to that final vision yeah absolutely absolutely so because, what's up oh go ahead sorry i'll ask my question after your statement well i, I was gonna say because it's those are the stepping stones to get to that world-class organization and you, you can't expect that you're going to turn it overnight i mean right. you, you have to have a a roadmap that, that's going to tell you how you're going to get there um and, and you just got to prioritize what you're gonna you got uh, my mom always said pick your battles and this is one of the battles that you just have to determine how to pick yeah absolutely how how are you uh developing or or identifying the kpis and and uh, part two of that question uh how are you going to necessarily connect each of those kpis uh to every role in, in the facility or are you yeah, yeah um you do you have to connect the whole facility together because if you don't yeah uh, you get people from other areas moving into sections that it just causes the chaos uh the, the kpis honestly i'm looking at them right now is the low-hanging fruit okay. what are the, and by low-hanging fruit meaning how do you make an impact to something to create a positive it, you, you find the simplest things that you can possibly do yeah um and it's because then they feel accomplished sure by, by helping the people feel accomplished that they did something and it, it helps you build on that sustainability portion of it because that's the one thing that frustrates most people me for sure is <clears throat> you spend all this time and effort creating something and then if you turn your head the other way it just deteriorates away within a short time yeah. and you have to help create that sustainability of what you've done because otherwise it doesn't pay to go forward yep yep i like it I like it. So we've got developing goals, uh, develop, you know, implement a employee eval program. What's your third initiative at, at maximum there? Third in, oh, third initiative. Yeah. Um, in improvement of quality. Okay. Uh, our, our quality, the quality of our product is great. Uh, I mean, it's probably one of the best things that, or one of the greatest things that I've seen. Uh, out of a lot of shops because of the attention and stuff that's put on it. Uh, but, but there's still opportunity there. You know, you know, it's simple things like uh, workmanship standards. It's not necessarily product quality, probably. It's more uh, appearance qualities. It's more how, how do you get without having to direct it, you know, that everybody to do that one little extra thing. Yeah, I get that, it. That says, I, want, I wanted somebody to be able to get a part in their hand or one of our customers to get the open the box up as they receive our product and just have them open the box and say, yes, that is maximum industries. I can tell by looking at it. <laughs> and that's always a, a, a great feeling when they don't even need to see the, the sticker uh, who it was shipped from, but they know exactly who made that part, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But speaking of workmanship, standards uh i i thought it was hilarious that you bring this up i was 
uh, on Reddit uh, early this morning uh, because I followed the the machinist uh, forum uh, or subreddit on Reddit. Just I want to know what people are talking about in the industry, right? Um, and uh, uh, somebody posted a photo of workmanship standards from a print and they didn't know what it meant. Uh, oh. So uh, I, I hope their boss did not see that. Uh, I hope that <laughs> anybody from their organization did not see that because that that uh, uh, kind of threw me for a loop. I'd never heard of somebody not understanding that. So maybe they were new, maybe it was uh, a coachable moment, but that, that was a uh, little side story. Sorry about that. Um, Chris, I like your three initiatives for Maximum. Um, are those things that you're drawing from your experience at, at Alexandria that you were able to implement there or that uh, you, you went through that those processes there? How did you come up with those three? You, you know, it was processes that um, I, I've always attempted to do. It's who I am. It's how I'm built uh, to me. The, those are the three things that make something or make a environment fantastic. Um, moving to maximum industries again, I was looking at myself and I was saying that, Hey, you know what? You got 15 years left of this. Uh, and I was building it off of the Alexandria way the whole way through. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of that stepping stone for me to say it was it was it Chris that had these abilities or was it Alexandria that had these abilities or was it both? Sure. That's a good um, question. So, yeah. So it, it, this was kind of a, um, I, I guess, just a new challenge for me. It's it, you know I've I've learned a lot in the last thirty years, um, and how do I take all that stuff that I've learned and expand that on? Yeah, it, with the NTMA, I mean all that other stuff, everything that I've always done with like high schools and technical colleges and stuff like that, it's always been about developing others. Yeah, and th this is that opportunity for me to expand it out beyond and say, how can I help develop others to uh, promote manufacturing? I mean, honestly, if I've got you know forty people here and I, I lose a twenty five percent of them, but those twenty five percent expand that same culture somewhere else, uh, that that's what we need to do. Yeah, I mean, it just makes the world a better place. Absolutely, and the industry a better industry, right? That's how that's how we're able to to get those young people interested in careers in manufacturing, and and not only get them interested, but then keep them interested. Um, <clears throat> so, Chris, uh, at the end of every episode, I, I give the guest an opportunity to to share their parting thoughts. What what nugget of information would you like to to share with the listeners today, uh, if anything? Um, you know what? The one thing that I guess I tell everybody, it's follow that passion that you have. I mean, we all have a dream in our head of what it is that we want to do. Um, and, and if what you're doing today is not work, not what you think you want to do, change. Uh, it, because you being, uh, like I said it before, you know, a happy person is a productive person. But honestly, I can I can tell you that from in the last thirty years that there's not a day that I have not woken up and been excited to go to work, uh, whether it's been the places that I've been to or not. But it's just a passion for what we're trying to do. And if you can find that true passion in yourself of what it is that you truly love to do, mm -hmm. um, you don't always go home happy. But I, I, I can honestly say that I have always woken up 
the next day, fired up and ready to give it a try again. And that's what tells me I'm doing the right thing. I like it. I like it. I like the energy, Chris. Uh, that's a wrap, everybody, uh, for today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Chris, a huge thank you to you for sharing your journey with us. Uh, you've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of things within the industry. Thank you for sharing uh, your experiences and your journey. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new. If you took away one thing that's huge uh, about the importance of culture and, and values in manufacturing. If you have any questions for Chris or comments about the episode, please contact us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe in the uh, to the Manufacturing Culture Cod Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and, and leave us a review. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we'll continue to explore the company cultures in the world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Mm -hmm.